keep focusing on what is going to be an effective stress management plan for you. If you don't make time for wellness, you'll be forced to make time for illness. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Hello, I'm Brian Gorman, the host of Conversations, and with me today is John O'Brien of Activate Success. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me, Brian. So, John, our topic today is stress management and executive wellness. What got you involved in this area? I would say two things. One is about kind of my own history, and one is about my work as a psychologist. First, my dad was an executive and was an executive who unfortunately didn't manage his stress well. And so when I was 15, he had a major heart attack at the age of 49 and nearly died and was never able to work again and died at the age of 63, very young. The stress of his work had a direct impact on not only him, but on our family. So if of course, that's perhaps part of the reason I you know, went into the field of, of working as a psychologist. This is not too difficult to draw the line to that. But in addition, then in working with people more individually over 25 years and doing individual psychotherapy, I would see things from people and hear about things from people's work environments. And I was perhaps dealing with people after they had already become symptomatic and kind of were falling apart. And so I thought, gosh, it would be nice to be able to work with people prior to that part and to be able to do some prevention work. So that's what has interested me going back to get trained to do executive coaching and kind of combining my training as an executive coach and my training as a health and wellness coach. I've gotten certified in both to be able to hopefully bring those skills around executive wellness and be able to prevent some of the fallout that can happen when stress is not well managed. Right off the bat there, John, you bring up an important consideration for us which is how we manage stress doesn't just affect how we show up at work. There's physical ramifications for it as well. Can you yes. share with our listeners a little bit more about how stress affects the human body? Sure. Well, if we think about the typical stress response that people probably know that when we initially get stressed, we go through kind of what people think of as the fight or flight response to deal with that. And there's all kinds of changes that go on neurobiologically as a way to prepare our bodies for what is a perceived threat. Uh, and, and I would just expand a little bit on that for your listeners that they, you know, that think about this from the perspective of the animal kingdom, that when an, an, an individual animal is trying to fight off a predator, the first thing that they're going to try to do is fight. And if they can fight, they will. 
But if they can't fight and they're going to be outnumbered or the other predator is too powerful, they're going to flee the flight. But if neither of those work and they're trapped, then their next option is to freeze and hope the predator either doesn't see them or goes on and grabs someone else or submit and kind of collapse is the last thing, playing dead is the last thing an animal will do to try to survive, hoping the predator will get bored and drop them and then they can escape. So that that's all contained in that first phase of a response. But interestingly, in the second phase of the stress response called the resistance phase, people actually function more effectively. Their immune systems are functioning better and they seem to be doing, kind of functioning on all burners and managing really well. And people are saying to them, how are you doing this? say, I don't know, but you know, I'm kind of managing all this stuff. The problem is that that can go on if people have their stress well managed, but at a certain point they get to the third phase, either because the stress has gone on too long or it's just too overwhelming. And that's when people get to the exhaustion phase. And it's in that phase that the impacts on the body become much more pronounced, which can be as simple as having more uh, colds or flu or RSV or COVID that we have creeping around now, or more serious illnesses like heart disease or cancer or immune disorders. That's why it's important to be able, we're gonna go through these phases, at least the fight or flight response and the resistance phase. Can we manage our stress effectively so that we don't end up in that third phase where we hit exhaustion? With that in mind, I know so often I have clients who say, I need to start exercising again. I need to get back to the gym. I need to, I need to, almost inevitably followed by, I just don't have the time. How do you work with that? Well, first of all, I reflect to them a quote that is not a brilliant quote from me. Just want to make sure that we're clear. It's, I'm plagiarizing it from anonymous because I don't think it's actually attributed to anybody specific, but it goes something like this. If you don't make time for wellness, you will be forced to make time for illness. That's where I start with people is to say, you know, and obviously if they are working with me, whether as a psychotherapist or as a coach, they're making time for this, for the coaching. And so they're already making some sort of commitment. So if they're making a commitment for that hour or that type of um, intervention, then it would make sense that they would therefore be willing to invest in other ways. Now, Having said that, people sometimes get caught up in exercise means the gym and it means going to the gym. And I've, I've fallen into this trap myself of like, I have to be there 45 minutes or it's not worth going. So I encourage people to think differently about exercise. First of all, think about, okay, what's possible? And maybe in certain periods of time, getting to a gym isn't possible, but maybe they need to think about doing some sort of exercise at home or building exercise into their day, walking more. When you go, if you go into the store, if you drive somewhere, park further away from the store and so that you're you know, in the parking lot and walking. Don't go to drive-throughs. Try to get more physical activity built into your life already, but also think about not exactly what you should be doing, but what's possible or what's effective for you to do as far as getting some exercise. People get jealous when I tell them that since moving to New York City in 1986, I have not owned a car. And what really surprised me early on living in New York is the visitors who would come and just halfway through the day say, can we go home? I'm tired of walking. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and for me, it's maybe 
a quarter of a mile to the grocery store. It's three quarters of a mile to the pharmacy, you know, about the same to the, the train into New York City now. So walking is just a part of who I am. Yeah. But I remember those days when it wasn't. Right. But even then, as I'm thinking back, John, I moved here from Minneapolis, and, and my last residence in Minneapolis was about a mile and a half from work, and certainly not in the wintertime, <laughs> mm-hmm. but in fair weather, I would walk that. At the time, I didn't do it for physical wellness, but I did it for mental wellness. It, it was a great time to just reflect on the day, let the day go before I got home, or to get my mind into work head, if you will, before I got into the office in the morning. For me, walking is like one of the the key aspects of wellness and stress management. Absolutely. And I think our friends in Europe, whether it's biking or walking, that's just, it's much more naturally integrated into their culture. And depending upon where you live in the U.S., it may or may not be. I mean, you're describing the fact that living in the city, walking everywhere is much more integrated into the culture there, whereas in more rural areas, it's not. Exercise is not the only approach to stress management and wellness. Where do things like meditation and different kinds of ritual practices, if you will, come into play? There are many stress management tools, and certainly it's important people have to find what is going to work for them. Because I've taught people mindfulness strategies for, again, now 25 years in my um, therapy practice. And some people really take to them. And some people, it's like, would you stop it with that stuff? <laughs> so we can wander other things. You know, it's not for everybody, but but I think having some sort of ritual practice, prayer, meditation, or mindfulness is something that allows you to have an awareness of what's in your mind and to be able to also then see that that's, <clears throat> those are thoughts or those are reactions that you're having internally and to be able to separate yourself from them. That's what some sort of meditative or prayerful practice allows people to do. And being able to separate ourselves from our experience of the moment in some way is, I think, a really critical component of stress management. Because as I always say to people, whether we call it mindfulness, you want me to call it something else. Having an awareness of what you are experiencing and that you are having a reaction that is related to stress is the foundation for then figuring out what are you going to do about it. But you first have to be aware of yourself. And so many people go through life without having any awareness or only having minimal awareness of their bodies and of their reactivity. And that's got to be a first step to any stress management plan. I remember years ago, I went to a silent meditation retreat. The leader of the retreat would give lessons at different points of the day. And I will always remember one lesson in particular. He said, your mind is going to have thoughts because that's what minds do. And most of us were from urban areas. So he, he used the analogy. He said, think of them like you're standing on the train platform, the subway platform. They're going to pull in and it's up to you to decide whether or not you get on that train. Mm-hmm. It's up to you whether you decide to ride that thought or let it leave. Mm-hmm. And another thought will come in after it. Right. And I, I really found that very useful. And I do have a morning practice. I don't meditate much anymore. But when I did, before I heard that, I always 
used to get so frustrated with myself because I'd have thoughts. Right. Which is basically just simply part of the human experience. Minds are going to have thoughts, but people to, to understand they can actually do something with their thoughts. They're not just a prisoner of their thoughts and powerless over what's in my mind. It's that the analogy that I often use with people is the thoughts or the emotions or the reactions can be like scenery in a train. Don't grab onto them. Just If you just notice them and just let them go by like scenery in a train, something else will pop up. You use the term executive wellness, but it's wellness for all of us. Yes, right. What else is important to take into consideration? I think nutrition broadly defined and what we take into our bodies has a profound impact on our wellness and our ability to manage stress or not. You know, the old, you are what you eat matters, junk in, junk out, you know, good stuff in, good stuff out. I'm not going to pretend to be a, a certified nutritionist to be making any specific recommendations around that. But I, but generally speaking, I would say thinking about what are people's diets and, and for them to really take a look at, okay, what's a healthy eating approach for them? Now, what I will say is two things that I see for executives and not just executives, I would say people in the business world, really in people in any business environment, caffeine and alcohol. People use caffeine and let the record show I'm a caffeine user myself, so I'm not casting aspersions in the directions of those caffeine users because I'm one of them. But overuse of caffeine and for depending upon people's physiology, sometimes it doesn't take much. A five ounce cup of coffee and who drinks five ounces of coffee anymore right it's like why even bother but some people use that as a measuring standard five ounces of caffeinated of with no cream just black coffee has about 100 milligrams of caffeine in it on average that's enough to make people physiologically dependent on caffeine so the the, the more beyond that that we are drinking every day our bodies are accustomed to having a certain amount of caffeine in our system and that lasts caffeine has a half-life of three hours which means if here we are we're recording at a little about 2 30 if we have coffee right now at 5 30 half of the caffeine will be out of our system but half is still there and then fast forward to 8 30 it's not all gone half of that half remains there so if people even if people are only surging their use of caffeine in the morning they can still have a regular blood level of caffeine throughout the day which can make sort of activates their body and can make them more stress reactive. But then at the end of the day, it's very common for people to have a drink or two or 22, whatever it may be, but as a way to calm themselves down. Alcohol is a depressant, it slows us physiologically, but the more slowed we are in the evening, it then over the course of the night and into the morning, it's then working its way out of our system while our body is trying to get back in balance. And so we often end up more physiologically agitated or anxious as a result of overuse of alcohol or even subtle use of alcohol. And that can also make us more stress reactive. So am I, I'm constantly talking to people about being conscious of and trying to make balanced choices in regard to the use of certainly caffeine and alcohol and then other substances I'll just keep over there to the side as well. But those are the two major ones I talk to people about.
that isn't where I thought you were going to go. Oh, <laughs> surprise! <laughs> surprise! <laughs> and that's certainly important ground to cover. Yeah. But I, I thought you were going to talk about, and I fell into this landmine for many years, mm-hmm. business people who were too busy to eat. Aha. Uh-huh. Or I'll eat, but I'm eating at my desk doing work. I'm guessing, and, and I have really, over the last year or so, intentionally made time for lunch. I'm, I'm guessing those eating habits are not very helpful in terms of either stress management or wellness as well. Exactly right. That it's what we eat and, well, and to your point, whether we eat, and certainly many people will try to accomplish weight loss by just not eating, but they just then find themselves not able to lose weight. And they're like, I'm not eating, I'm only eating one meal a day, or I'm starving myself. I'm only eating lettuce. What's going on? But I try to tell them your body thinks you're starving to death. So it's actually fighting against you to try to keep things in balance. So just not eating isn't a good strategy for wellness and for even for, for weight loss. There really are some sometimes some specific methods that people need to pursue. In addition, it's what's the pace at which we eat and are we truly eating reasonably mindfully or are we just sort of inhaling our food and get on to the next thing that's more important. I remember a study years ago, and I don't have the reference, but it's truly, I did read this, that they timed how long it takes the average American to eat a McDonald's meal. And it's, I believe it was not a minute, (laughs) I think it was eight minutes, seven or eight minutes. And then when you fly over to Paris and McDonald's is something that we have um, exported all around the world, for better or for worse, when you time the average Parisian eating the same McDonald's meal, do you want to guess how long they take? 30 minutes. 45 minutes. Because in France, culturally, they are taught that eating is important. And so, I mean, not absolutely 100% everybody, but many people, it's it's an event. Right. Like you sit down, you eat lunch, and you eat it slowly and, you know, mindfully while you're having conversation. You know, think about school lunches. I mean, kids in middle school and high school get, you know, what, you know, like 18 minutes for lunch or 20-something minutes, but by the time they get down there, I mean, the message is throw it down and then get back to class. And so we internalize that too. Yes, taking time to slow down and eat and di- and allow ourselves to digest is really important. This brings to mind, back to the same meditation retreat, we were all there and they passed out grapes and it was about taking five minutes to eat one grape, mm-hmm. feel the texture, to smell it, to feel it in your mouth, to actually skin the grape take five minutes to eat a grape and it really is different and it's it's hard to maintain that intentionality that you're talking about most of us would probably sit down with a handful of grapes and then look down and wonder where they went correct because we've just unconsciously eaten them all or a dish of candy or ice cream or whatever the um flavor of the day if you will is Mm -hmm. i'm really curious one of the things that has become very important to me is the stories people tell themselves. Mm -hmm. And 
if you change your story, you can change your life. How do you use story around stress management and executive wellness with your clients? Well, I think if people can use the concept of story, if you think about story from the perspective also of perception, people can use perception in ways that can be helpful or unhelpful. So I talk a lot with people about the, this comes from a, my mindfulness training and work, is the idea of judgment, how people perceive their environment and others' reactions or others' behavior. And of course, we all want to think that we're right with the way that we see the world. So quite often people will leap to a conclusion and tell themselves that whatever they feel or whatever they perceive is the truth. And that's what mindfulness and certainly other types of training and awareness can help people to get clear on is that that may be their perception, but that isn't necessarily reality. Or that's their reality, but other people can have a separate reality. But to your point about understanding what's the story that people tell themselves about that reality and how easily people can get into catastrophic thinking. I talk a lot with people about catastrophic thinking and how something will happen and they'll start to add on to that circumstance and create these sort of devastating consequences that are going to happen. And they, they've made a movie. They've already picked who the stars are going to be in the movie practically. And I have to try to sort of say, wait a minute, like none of that's happened. But think about the consequences of that story that you're, or that movie that you're running in your mind. Be aware that's just a movie, but that you can choose what movie you, you can choose what story that you tell yourself and what you, but also what you want your story to be to a certain extent, right? I'm, I'm, I'm sort of making broad sweeping generalizations because there certainly are times when people's life circumstances, very stressful, very difficult. So I, I am just aware that we're not saying this is true a hundred percent of the time, but that, but many people, yes, that they can choose what story they tell themselves and that's going to have an implication for their sense of hopefulness about the future and what they feel like choices are that they have. A couple of things come to mind as I'm listening to you around that. One is the people who say, I have no choice. What I really try to, to coach them to see is choice isn't between good and good or good and bad. Sometimes choice is between two bads. And there is always choice. The second thing that comes to mind is a life lesson like grandfather taught me while he was teaching me how to play pinochle as an eight or nine year old. And I used to get very grumpy if I got a bad hand. Mm -hmm. I don't know that he meant this as a life lesson, but he said, you can't choose the hand you're dealt. It's always up to you how to play it. Exactly. My last question for you, I think, is again, over the years, I've been in and out of a lot of different approaches to stress management, to wellness. One of which is this whole series of apps from which you can choose sounds of nature and then choose brain patterns. So, you know, do I want calming? Do I want a power nap? Do I want just through the sound, a caffeine shot, if you will? How real is that? In terms of, I mean, your question being in terms of like, is there really hard data that says that we change our brains in that very specific way? that these apps promise us we are. Right. I, I've not seen literature that says that, like how frequently that works or how, what the quality of that is. I will say more generally that I think apps, all week I talk with people about finding apps that can supplement their stress management plan. Because when you're in, 
when a cab, you know, in a cab going from one place to another or <clears throat> waiting for a bus or waiting for a class to start or taking a pause for lunch, having a set of headphones and popping them in and doing a five minute meditation or listening to relaxing music. Yes, it would be nice to have some sort of biofeedback measure for you to sort of see evidence of what changes are going on for you physiologically. And there are certainly some of those out there. But I think the proof is also in how people feel as a result of taking even a simple minute to just quiet their bodies and quiet their minds and focus on something that they find relaxing. And you talked earlier about eating a grape. When I had training in mindfulness, we did two things. We drank a glass of water, and we also enjoyed a mint for five minutes. And it's amazing just taking a few minutes to slow down and see what do you really notice about the process of drinking water? Or if you try to fully focus on the experience of having a mint, what new awarenesses do you have? But also taking time then at the, at the end of that to notice what do you feel like physically? And how is that different from where you started two or five minutes prior? So I can't respond directly to your question about what's the kind of actual validity of those apps in terms of um, how well they map on to creating certain biorhythms or something. But I still think there's a lot of value in apps like that nonetheless. Last question. What role does breath play in all of this? Great question. And thank you for bringing that up because I think much like we talked about earlier, that awareness plays a central role. I think breath plays an absolutely essential role. Because I always say to people, and I often am teaching people diaphragmatic breathing or abdominal breathing as a foundational coping skill for stress management. And I always say to people, it's not like you're going to go somewhere and be like, oh, shoot, I forgot my lungs. They're always with you. And it's just a question about how much are you using that tool that's always with you? And again, breathing doesn't work for everybody. Someone has asthma. Sometimes people with trauma histories really cannot use breath very effectively, and they need to use some sort of grounding techniques or something else where they're focused externally. But I think for the majority of people, learning how to focus on breath and learning how to get the full capacity of our lungs is really a core component of a stress management plan. I actually learned a while back a, a centering breath that when I will guide my clients through it the first time, can often take five minutes or more. Mm -hmm. And I tell them that with practice, I, I mean, I know people in the health profession that use this particular breath work where they'll walk out of one ICU room and just stop in the hallway for 10 or 15 seconds and totally let go of all the stress of being with that patient so that they're present to move into the next ICU patient. Yeah. Breath can be incredibly powerful as a tool. Yes. And the idea that we don't have to go off and do 5, 10, 30 minutes of breathing, or that even when you're in the middle of a difficult interaction with someone, you know, I talk to people about that, about using breath and the calming effect breath can have. And it doesn't have to be, okay, can you excuse me just a minute? I got to go over here and do my five minutes of abdominal breathing. It can be that you can be silently, but with awareness, focusing on your breath to calm yourself in that difficult situation so that you can not react, but act more skillfully in whatever the interaction may be. John, this has been great. What closing thoughts do you have? Well, I think the fact that people are listening to a talk on stress management is already a good thing, that it means that there's some awareness of the importance of it 
and that and maybe some people are recognizing based to some of the things that, that we've talked about here that they need to be more intentional about having their own stress management plan. I would say don't get caught up in having to do the right thing and I really about to, to manage their stress, they have to figure out what the right thing is. And I really want to advise people don't tie a stress management plan to New Year's resolutions because so often people make these New Year's resolutions and then they end up by the middle of January not having done them and they think, well, that's all lost. Start small, be realistic with yourself, be forgiving, but keep focusing on what is going to be an effective stress management plan for you. Because I would go back to one of the things I said earlier, which is if you don't make time for wellness, you'll be forced to make time for illness. John O'Brien, Activate Success. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks for having me.